0: Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Anthony Renz. Anthony is currently the hitting coach for the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks of the American Association. The Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks and the American Association, for those who don't know, it's an independent league, so it's not affiliated with a major league club, but it is technically still professional baseball and let me tell you from first hand experience the competition is very, very similar to A AA and triple A in minor league baseball. In this episode, Anthony talks a little bit about his experience in independent baseball, a little bit of his background, what what the entire purpose of independent baseball is and what makes it different from minor league baseball because it is very, very different. It's very cutthroat. They don't care if you ha- if you play in the big leagues. If you go there and you don't play well, you're gonna get released because the managers are hired and fired solely based on wins and losses. It's it's very fascinating uh, to someone who maybe is, is outside and and doesn't has never heard of independent baseball, and for someone who is on the inside and knows it, it's it's a great it's a great uh, story from to hear about Anthony and and his own journey from. Um, becoming a from starting out as an independent baseball player to now becoming a coach at a really high level, he also gets into you know, what he does from a player development standpoint too for the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks and how he helps his players get ready to play on a day-to-day basis and just some of the uh, nuances that that uh, that are in hitting in general. So, great episode. If you haven't already, make sure to go subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, whatever your favorite platform of choice is, and make sure to rate and leave a review on iTunes. That would be awesome. Be very appreciative of that. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is Anthony Renz. All right, we now welcome on Anthony Renz. Anthony, thanks for coming on the podcast, man.
1: yeah, appreciate it Pat. Uh, appreciate you having me and uh look forward into uh you know talking shop
0: yeah, i you know we we came in contact and met each other while we were still trying to play independent baseball and it, it's crazy how it comes full circle because I remember like it was yesterday when you you were uh we were in Florida at that camp and you had played for Fargo. Uh, And you remember you telling me like, yeah, they picked you up from the airport in a limo and took you to the park. And then like you, you had like six at bats and then got released or something crazy. Uh, Do you remember, do you remember telling me that?
1: Yeah. I, uh, yeah. My independent ball run. I, you know, I didn't know what I was getting into. I was, you know, I finished my playing career and luckily I I got into the, uh, the Pecos league just to kind of get my start. And um, you know, the Pecos League, you know, you know, a lot of people, it's the, it's the underworld of, of baseball. You know, a lot of people um, don't know what you're getting into. But, you know, it was a way for me to just, you know, kind of play and, and play at a high level, and, or at least a high level for what I was used to in college and stuff, and went out there. I was only there for a couple of days, and I got signed by Fargo. I, they flew me, like, all over the country. I land in Gary, Indiana. They pick me up in a limo. I'm like, what? where am I? And yeah, I got. I think I got 13 at bats. Went two for 13, so I uh, my my run as a Red Hawk playing wise is pretty short. But I got the opportunity. You know, a lot of people asked me how they didn't really give you a chance. so they gave me 13 at bats. If I go 11 for 13 with a couple jacks and doubles, I'm probably still playing. But I didn't do that, so uh, I got a chance and unfortunately didn't go. But I mean, everything's worked out for the better. So.
0: So uh, for, that just blows my mind, by the way. Like, of all places, Gary, Indiana, to get picked up in a limo um, from the airport. <laughs> yeah, but you're
1: not kidding.
0: Like, how does it, how, why, why is it so cutthroat in independent baseball? And maybe, maybe let's just start out. You're coaching, you're the hitting coach for the Fargo Moorhead Redhawks in the American Association, one of the top leagues. In, in independent baseball, I mean, there's tons of uh, former big, big leaguers who are who are in the league, and I'm sure there's a lot of guys who are going to be in the big leagues again who are in that league. But for those who are listening, like, what is independent baseball?
1: Yeah, I mean, for, you know, the, the easy way to kind of talk about it is it's minor league baseball, no affiliation. Like, if I was going to try to explain independent baseball to just a casual baseball fan, that's really simply the definition, minor league baseball, no affiliation. Um, so obviously our players um, get picked up, you know, they sign with any organization um, that wants to sign them out of our league. And I mean, based in the American association off of, you know, roster requirements and stuff, you know, we only have, we only have to have a maximum of four rookies. So everybody else has affiliated experience. It's no different from the guys that you're going to see at double AA, A, triple A. Some of our guys have already you know, made the big leagues come back. But, you know, independent ball is simply that. It's minor league baseball. These guys have been and done basically everything that what current minor leaguers are going through. And their time either ran out, had an injury, um, you know, so many different stories across the board. So really for us with, you know, independent ball is people don't understand. And I think just in general, fans don't really understand what they're going to see, even when they go to a minor league game. You know, they go to a minor league game and think, "Oh, these guys are just you know the minor leaguers, you know, who, you know who are they're the nobodies." And it's like, no, you're really looking at like the top three percent of athletes that can play the sport of baseball at a high level. You know, like this idea that you're going to see guys that you know are are never going to make it is is kind of absurd. So even when you know people come watch independent ball, they're like, "Oh, these guys are the you know real you know bottom dollar." It's like, no, these guys were all prospects at one time. They either made it to a Double A. AA, And they never caught the break that they did and, you know, they still want to play and they can play a game that they love and get paid while doing it. So, you know, basically it's, it's, like I said, it's minor league baseball, just no affiliation. Um, And a lot of times it's at a higher level than what many people think.
0: Oh, and you hear that. I mean, I, have heard that for years, even when back when, when me and you were trying to play, where how you could take most, not I don't want to say most, a lot of independent teams could beat double A and triple A teams.
1: Yeah, and you know I can speak to that. Obviously, being in you know being now three years coach in the American Association. I mean, you take our team this year. Even um, you know I think we finished twenty eight and thirty two um, under five hundred. If you look at our pitching staff, I think all four or all five of our guys in our pitching staff at one point had AAA um, or higher experience. Um, you know, we had Braden Hagans who pitched in the big leagues a little bit. Matt Tomshaw was in our rotation who was in big league camp this spring training with the White Sox um, before COVID happened. So you're talking about guys that um, really are an eyelash away from being somebody you watch on TV regularly. And what the, you know, the part of coaching um, and obviously our manager does a great job, Chris Coast with this is he tries to tell our, the players is you're a lot closer than what you think. You know, that's the one part about the players is they sometimes they come to independent ball and they think, boy, this is, the life preserver that's getting thrown to me out in the middle of the ocean. It's like, no, really, you're, you're not really that far away. Cause if you can come here and perform, they're going to take you out of here, take you to high A, take you to double A, maybe even triple A. And then you're right back to where you thought you never could be, you know, two years prior. So it's such a high level. That's what makes it so much fun. And I think for a lot of these guys, it's refreshing because it's wins and losses. Um, and kind of going back to, you know, what we were saying on why it's so cutthroat is, you know, you have an owner that wants to win, wants to fill the seats. You know, the the low A affiliate in a random town in Tennessee, you know, they're just selling pretty much cheap hot dogs and cheap beer. And the owner really doesn't care what happens. And neither really does the organization when it comes to winning. Now, most organizations are going to say, you know, winning is part of the process and that helps development, which is 100 percent true. But in the end, they have their draft picks at the higher end of the draft that they want to see get to the big leagues and help the big league club win. We are our big, big league club. You know, for a lot of the people and the fans in this area, the Red Hawks are the show in town. So it's about wins and losses and trying to win a championship. And I think a lot of the guys, a lot of the players that come back and, you know, play here at Independent Ball and they'll realize what Fargo offers and just really our league in general. And they realize, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, I did I played for so long in the affiliated system and and grinded it out and really competed against my teammates. Now I'm finally getting to focus that energy to compete against uh, other guys on a daily basis to try to win it all. So...
0: Yeah, it kind of goes back to uh, college baseball setting, in a sense, where it solely is about winning, and um, have you noticed that there's there's, there's more small ball at, like, bunting and things like that, just because it's solely about wins and losses?
1: Yeah, I I think, you know, there is definitely a component to that. You know, obviously, you saw the Dodgers a couple nights ago lay down a safety squeeze first and third, and... You know, Twitter goes crazy. You know, it's always funny. You get on Twitter during a baseball game, man, and it is it, is, it can get, you know, pretty heated from we should do that, you should do this, Maybe why did Dave Roberts do that, why did Kevin Cash do that, and all, and everything in between. But, yeah, there is a component to that because, again, we're, we're trying to win games. Our goal is to make the playoffs, win the championship. So whatever you need to do in order to win a game, you're going to do. You know, it's not like, you know, at the end of the year, 100 games, Games, okay good year pack it up you know if we go you know 40 and 60 our owner wants to know what happened you know we're held accountable <laughs> for it. or you're not you're just not getting that at the other levels which I love that you know and I think a lot of people do love that as well um, obviously there is some you know notoriety obviously if you can say you know I am hitting coach of the Dimebacks I'm the, I'm the bench coach with the Kansas City Royals obviously you want to everybody wants to make the big leagues and that goes for coaches that goes for you know, players and everything in between. But um, yeah, I mean, it's fun, you know, because every game matters. And, you know, we kind of preach that every pitch, every play, every out, it matters, every run matters. So um, that makes it a fun element in terms of the pro side of things, because you really don't get that until you get to the big leagues when it comes to the affiliate side.
0: Yeah. And to your point on uh, people may not know, but people inside of baseball, they know how good Independent baseball is, and they know how good the American Association is. I mean that, and I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the travel there just insane too? Was it still like, like crazy all over the place?
1: Yeah, I mean there, there's some road trips. I mean, there's you know, there's teams as far north as Winnipeg, and there's a team down in, in Cleburne, Texas. So you're talking probably basically a a day's trip on a bus. But you know, within our division, you know, it's Fargo, it's Minneapolis, you know, St. Paul, which is three and a half hours. Sioux Falls is three and a half hours to our south winnipeg three and a half hours to our north it's not milwaukee's an eight-hour trip so it's no there's there are some bus trips that are the brutal luckily you know chris ghost and i always joke luckily we don't have to physically perform i only got to throw batting practice through i got about an hour about a two-hour stretch where i got to physically do something yeah uh so for the players it's a lot harder for them than it is me but uh yeah i mean the 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 bus rides are you know they are just like any other minor league bus ride you know and and i think we all been doing it and when you look love baseball so much you almost learn to love those almost more than what you do anything else and those are the memories that you create you know for years to come
0: how, how is your bp is it pretty good
1: i i'd like to say it's pretty good i you know i i uh i've done it you know a variety anything i'm sure we're going to get into it with player development stuff but yeah i mean i feel like i throw a pretty decent bp i mean I, I throw a ton i throw a lot uh all the time usually two groups a day um sometimes even mixing in like different pitches and stuff just to give our guys different looks so yeah i mean i I feel pretty confident i I would hope that if one of our guys made the home run derby i'd be uh i'd be the guy they choose to go throw for it's a
0: lot harder than people think i don't think the (laughs) average person out there realizes it
1: yeah they don't realize that you know uh, it's not you know i did a lot of it in college but you know over time you you end up getting better at it and you have your days you know i mean sometimes your arms hang a little bit but you don't want to you don't want to have your players not get the quality that they deserve. So you got to fight through it. It's not like I'm running through a brick wall or anything, but yeah, it is, it's harder than what, what people think, but I, I love it. It's like, you know, that's the physical main activity of the day, you know, during the season. So it's awesome. And plus guys are hitting homers left and right. It's always fun to give up some homers, especially during batting practice.
0: So how was the transition from you coaching in college at, at a small, small, small college to coaching big leaguers, essentially, right away like there was no real i mean you didn't really have like a stepping stone it was like here and then like boom way up here coaching 30 year olds
1: yeah no doubt I, I mean i was at a, a division two school in pennsylvania shippensburg university and i was an assistant under the head coach there matt jones who, who was awesome and, and really deserves a ton of credit and will get a ton of credit for the rest of my coaching career that's for sure um because i wouldn't be where i am without him um but uh yeah i was a little worried about it. i was worried about it in this sense not from my knowledge and what I knew about the game and what I could offer. I was pretty confident in what I knew about the game and how much, how much passion I had for it. Um, But a lot of it had to do for me, my anxiety in my first year was the credibility. You know, um, I don't have an extensive pro playing career. You know, I I played a little bit in the American association. I played a little bit in the frontier league. I I was never a double A, never got to affiliated ball. I, I don't have the clout. that Some of these guys do. And even though the baseball industry has moved away from that, from people getting jobs that maybe not, might not necessarily be a former big leaguer, you know, still for me, I had that anxiety, you know, what's a double a pro former prospect in the Dodgers organization. Why is he going to listen to me about hitting when he's going to look at my resume and go, boy, you haven't done it. Um, so there was a little bit of anxiety with that, but honestly, the players and to their credit were the reason I, that anxiety went away almost instantly. they, welcome welcome me with open arms and they're not you know i think a lot of it is to the way baseball is run today affiliated wise they're experiencing things with different coaches from different backgrounds that they don't even really care if you're there to help their career they're all in um so yeah i definitely had some anxiety going from you know 22 year olds where i played at that level and was a good player at that level so they're like oh this guy knows what he's doing to now going to a level where they're like dude you know your first game you punched out, you know, three or four times. Uh, why should I, why should I listen to you? you got 13 at-bats. So yeah, there was some anxiety with there. But like I said, the players are, were so welcoming. And, and uh, you know, it's it's a different coaching, you know, uh, not technique, just a coaching philosophy when you go from maybe college to pro. It's just different. There's a little, you got to be able to adjust on the fly and, and really fit the players' needs.
0: Yeah, I, I can piggyback what you're saying too. I mean, uh, before Coronavirus happened. Just being in spring training and and mini camp this year, I mean, there wasn't one player who was like, "Hey, I looked at your baseball reference. Like, I didn't didn't see much on there." You know what I mean? They right. they wanted to. Can you help them move up? Can you help right. them get better? I mean, this. So I, yeah, I definitely. I'm I'm not surprised that you had a, a similar experience as that. Now, when it comes from like evolving as a coach, and now that you've had a couple years of experience, high level baseball. Yeah. What, what have you learned the last few years as a coach?
1: Yeah, so in terms of going from the college game to the program, actually I'm lucky enough to stay within both. I'm still I'm, – you know, I, the bench coach with the Redhawks, hitting coach with the Red Hawks, and I also help Chris Coast, who's our manager with the Red Hawks with the Division three school. He coaches here in Moorhead, Minnesota. So I'm able to stay in college and stay in pro. And, honestly, Coast and I talk about it all the time, how it helps. You know, you, the, the one makes you better at the other. So in college, there might be things, maybe mechanically, we can work on a lot more to help a college player get better. When you get to the pro side of things, you know, it's not that you can't change. As you see with the Dodgers, they have a ton of guys that have changed mechanics. Justin Turner is pretty much the most famous one for doing it and really taking his career to the next step. So it's not like the pro game, you don't have those mechanical changes. But on the pro side of things, a lot of times I tell people is you're more of a therapist than you are anything else. And you're there to really... One, make sure they get their game reps, kind of help them with BP, machine work, whatever the case may be, fungos, etc. cetera. And then other than that, listen, observe, and help them with any questions that they might have. And I think I took that for granted a little bit my first year with the Red Hawks. There were times where I wasn't expecting maybe a former AAA or to ask me, hey, what'd you see? And it kind of caught me off guard. Um, so I really, in my first year, I really focused on watching guys' movements and how they just looked regularly, especially when they were going well. That way, when they started going going bad, I could say, hey, you know what, I see a little bit of difference here, I see a little bit of difference there, whether it's looking at video or just live at bats. So the adjustment is, I think in college, you maybe do a little more of the talking, and in the pro side of things, you do a little bit more of the listening, to where you're trying to help an already proven commodity get to the next level, where the college is college players a little bit more an unproven commodity. And we're trying to get them to prove themselves. And you're helping them physically with a lot more things. So that 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 would be the main difference at least that I that I at least I've experienced in my couple years being on the pro side of things now for sure.
0: And it, it's also great for you as a coach from a development standpoint because since you're still working with college players, you talked about mechanics and things like that, you you still have to stay on top of 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 that side of your game if you will from a coaching standpoint too you can't so that way like you said you're getting both you're getting you're not just getting just uh you know knowing the body mechanics and everything but also the mental game too during the season i view what i do kind of the exact same where in the off season i can work with college and even high school guys and whatnot and they have a lot more things going on that they need work so i need to know about the, the body and how it works but once we get to spring training to your point again, it's it's more so about process. It's more so about the mental game, things like that. So, totally agree with with what you're talking about. Has there has there already been anything in terms of uh, helping guys prepare before a game that you've changed since you started coaching with the Red Hawks?
1: Um, you know, I don't know if I were, is there anything that I necessarily have changed pregame this year. was a ton of fun. Ton of fun. And and the one thing about you know. Know, independent ball is pretty much every year there's a lot of roster turnover just because we had one year you know of, of, we had a group of guys in 2018 it's a lot different year to year because guys retire guys move on with their lives you make moves in the off season where guys get released maybe out of affiliated ball that come available so there's constant improvement so really each year is different but I you know in terms of our day-to-day stuff you know, a lot of the times, you know, I'm in the cage all the time. So, you know, our, you know, the day will start off with me sending a scouting report of the starting pitcher. So I just send it to everybody, send video, usually of his most recent start. And then if he has a start against us, just to see those guys, let them re-see their at-bats. Um, and we're, we're, we're even moving towards more of even making it simpler for the guys to watch, where we edit video just almost of the pitches. And I got to give a shout out to uh, Steve Schuster, who's the Winnipeg Gold Eyes play-by-play guy on Twitter, at Growcasting, I think um, his his handle is. He does a great job of video editing. If you go to Steve's page, you'll kind of see what even we do at Fargo. And so it's, you know, what does the guy throw? What is, you know, what are the velocities if I can get him, you know, pretty pretty accurate? Because um, even even sometimes, you know, if a guy has come from affiliate ball, he might have changed, you know, his whole philosophy in terms of how he throws and, and, and so on. So, you know, scouting report of the, of the uh, you know, guys the, the, that day starting pitcher, video as much video as I possibly can get on the guy and that in the cage, you know, there's guys that like the machine, there's guys that like flips, there's guys that like T work. It's all different. So usually I have I'll send out different time slots and say, hey, the machine will be from 245 to 315, flips 315 to 345. The last 15 minutes I'll throw live before we head out for BP. Something along those lines. Just to give everybody what they need in order to be ready. Because like I said, you're almost like a caddy. You're just there at times, especially in the middle of the season and late in the season, how do I get my guys ready to be ready for the game? Um, and then obviously go into batting practice. And like I said, there's so many different routines. That's what I love about it. I feel like even when I go to the cage, I'm learning different things to do with maybe our college guys that I like what our pro guys are doing. And you know, everybody's different. There were some guys that love hitting off the machine. They'll take they'll take rounds, and you almost got to tell them, "Hey, we're good here. Like, I promise. Yeah. That if you take." Just because you took 49 swings, you don't need that 50th one. You're going to be fine. And then there was other guys like arguably – well, definitely in my opinion, the most best all-around offensive player in our league last year was Drew Ward, who was a top-30 prospect with the Washington Nationals and, and DH for us pretty much the whole year and played first base. He Once he got rolling during the regular season and got about 20 games in, he did like 25 swings off the tee, 10 swings off of flips. We'd go out for BP. He'd take eight swings and be like, I'm good for the day. And that was the best player, best offensive player in the league and a guy that played at a really high level. So it just goes to show you that whatever they want me to do, I'm there for them. That way they can get ready for however they want to prepare for a game.
0: I think it also goes to show you, too, how you I've heard this several times of, of how the older guys get, the more experience they have, the more they've dealt with failure in the game. The less they swing because they know right. their swing so well at that point. And it sounds like um, with with that particular player who was the best hitter in the league, he, he just knew himself so well from from all those years. Like, I, I just I see that all the time where the older guys get the, the less they need to swing. They're not searching for stuff anymore all the time. Knowing yourself as a hitter, I think, is one of the most underrated aspects of being a good hitter. Really.
1: Yeah, no, the, the body awareness and just really the mental preparedness of what these guys got to do every day, um, you know, because baseball is the most, the hardest thing to do in, in any sport is to hit a baseball. If anybody tells you anything different, they haven't tried to hit a baseball. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, just what they have to do in order to get ready. And a lot of times less is more. And staying in that right mental state is far more important than taking Fifteen swings in batting practice. But batting practice does serve a purpose. You know, get out there, break a sweat, get loose, get ready for the game. There was a little stretch there where I thought there was a little bit of a war on batting practice. Like, we got to vary it up. And you do. Trust me, you got to get different looks. And just throwing, you know, simple BP every day doesn't make anybody a better player, obviously. Like, but that was never the purpose of batting practice. Like, we never set out to throw BP to say, hey, if you hit, you know, seven home runs in batting practice, you're going to hit Clayton Kershaw all the night. It's not how it works. It was never designed to make that work. It was, hey, feel good now. That way when the first pitch comes in at 95, you don't feel overwhelmed. You know, so I think batting practice serves obviously that purpose. But if you're using batting practice to just hopefully get extraordinary results, it's probably not going to happen for you.
0: So you said that you would change it up sometimes in batting practice. like what, what, what do you mean by that? Like machines out there? Yeah, well,
1: usually the machine, you know, if we did any early work with the machine, it was way before our time slot for batting practice. That way we just had our normal batting practice time. So, you know, a couple hours before, or maybe an hour before BP, I would set the machine up on the field. Guys would come in, fastball, sliders. Usually it depended on the handedness of the starting pitcher. Um, And what I really came to like this past year working with this team, and our catcher Dylan Kelly was a big proponent of it is he would, we would set the machine up almost on a youth curveball for whatever handedness the pitcher was thrown or a youth slider. So we weren't even throwing razor blades in there for him to hit because you don't get paid, as I told him. I said, you don't get paid to hit the good slider. You know, the good slider you shouldn't hit. You got to hit the bad one. So a lot of it was just a little, you know, a little breaking ball where you saw the break. Maybe it was a little hanging breaking ball that was up in the zone where in a game we have to be ready to hit that. You know, you're seeing it, obviously, in, in postseason baseball. you got to hit the fastball in order to stay really in this game. But you better be able to hit a bad breaking ball, too. You know, if a guy – you know, if Dustin May hangs that slider, we we got to be ready to hit that because a 101 two-seamer coming after that and your chances go down significantly. So, you know, that was a big thing we did was machine work and had it set up to where they had a lot of success. That way they felt comfortable and they were seeing spin and, you know, as much revolutions as they possibly can prior to the game. So machine work would come before that. And then VP, we just change up, like, our situations. You know, I'm, I like um, in batting practice giving the guys a goal. You know, so the first round would be a little, you know, hit and run round, move the runner, infield in, infield back. And then maybe the third round, which I love, is, you know, first and third one out, stay off the ground. You know, we're all we're all trying to stay off the ground as much as possible. But that first and third one out, especially in the pro game, is such a crucial, crucial situation to come through. Because the defense can get two outs and get out of the inning. So we got to find a way to score in those situations. Same way with a leadoff double and obviously a bevy of other, you know, examples that we can think of in terms of situational hitting. But that's one that we always kind of try to stress is hey, first and third one out, change the score. Find a way to get that run in, find a way to get the ball in the air, drive the ball, hit something hard. So
0: what about what about a scenario where you would want certain guys to to put one on the ground? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Usually and Chris Coase is a big believer in this too, is usually Actually, uh, Coaster would throw to the group that was the safety squeeze group. He was the third base coach. He's the manager and the third base coach, so he likes to see the guys and how they can handle a bat. So he would actually throw to the group of guys who are candidates for the safety squeeze, just to kind of see how they're doing it, see which way they're more comfortable if they're you know willing to put it down on the right side or the left side, depending on which you know if they're lefty or righty or whatever makes them most comfortable. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, whatever your skill set is as a player. You better practice that in batting practice because you are who you are, especially at the pro level. You know, there's not a lot of guys that are gonna change. Sure, their numbers could go up, maybe they find a little more juice, but for the most part, the guys that we're getting, we're getting who they are. And we're trying to make them better so they get back and get that affiliate experience. But you gotta practice. If you're gonna, if you're a home run hitter, better practice it in homers. If you if you gotta, you know, if you gotta, you know, if you're a safety squeeze candidate, you gotta get the bunt down. You know, it's that simple. Because if you don't, we lose. So, again, it goes back to that wins and losses mentality.
0: How how does it work with guys getting picked back up to MLB organizations? Because I've heard some stuff like guys go there for one day and get get picked back up again and then other guys. So you see the hit over 300 with hitting home runs left and right and they're stuck forever.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of what happens when players get signed at independent ball is the situation they're going into. So on – you know, when there's a when there's a player to get signed, everybody just sees the signing, you know, and they just see it as, oh, well, he's going to the Reds. Well, it's like the Reds might have a need somewhere, you know, they might be looking for a triple A type starter where they know, OK, this guy, a Braden Hagens for example, pitching a big league, expecting triple A, basically his whole career. We know he can come here and hold the fourth down for whoever, whatever he has to do for when someone comes back off an of injury or maybe to fill a role possibly at the big league level. So it all depends on what the organization needs. Um, but one thing to remember when guys are getting signed out of independent ball is this. Organizations want – they're basically – the whole evaluation process comes down to this. Is so-and-so a big leaguer? That's the question. It's you know There's plenty of guys in our league that, that are – you have tools for days, plus arm, plus power. You know, they're the full package. And you sit there and say, man, how is this guy here? And and if they have one flaw that a scout comes and says, we don't think he can be a big leaguer, it's tough to get over that, that hump. You know, that's what we're being evaluated on. The whole goal when you get drafted, whether you're a first rounder or, you know, the last pick in the draft is, eventually the question comes, can he be a big leaguer? And if you can't, that's when the release papers usually get assigned. Now, sure, when guys have more money tied up into them, their leash gets a little bit longer for good or for the worst of the game. Obviously, you know, a lot of jilted minor leaguers feel a, feel a certain way about that. But again, you have to look at the league. If you're an independent ball, if you want to get out of here, and I I would tell some of our guys this, you got to dominate. You know, if you hit, you know, 280, you know, eight jacks, nice, nice clump of RBI, stole a couple bags. That why, why there's plenty of guys that can do that. You know, you know, how scarce is what you provide available to the major league teams? You know what I mean? There's, there's one Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts gets paid 330 million. Why? Well, Cause there's one of them. Okay. There, there's only one Mike Trout, you know, so you got to figure out a way to look in the room around you and figure out what do I got to do in order to get out of here? And what's going to allow me to get out of here. And in our level, it's you got to dominate the league. You got to really come in and show that this is a level that you are one of the top, premier, you know, players in it for sure on a day-to-day basis.
0: And how often do guys get get picked up? Like, how often are do scouts come and be like, "I think this guy can be a big leaguer"?
1: You know, it's it's a good question because I'm not sure the total number within our league, but you know, every year it's just so happenstance now that it happens that I don't really even track it because you just expect it to happen so whether it's a pitcher position player whatever the case may be we get guys signed out tons of organizations Sioux City has done a tremendous job of getting guys signed we've had a couple guys signed um one guy I played back in 2015 was Brandon Mann he got to the big league with the Rangers a couple years later so guys are getting signed pretty much constant I don't want to use the term constantly because it's not like every day but it, it happens enough to where I don't even think twice about it um and like I said, it's all based on need. And then the other thing that happens in independent ball is a lot of guys go play over, you know, overseas and that also gets overlooked. You no, know, because everybody's so focused on the big leagues. It's like, well, some of these guys can go over to Japan and make 10 times the money that they were ever going to make in the affiliated system. And they're going to do that. Brandon Mann, the guy that I brought up was one of those guys made, made and Braden Haggins is another one went over there. And there's certain guys that come to our league at a later age and they go, you know, maybe the big leagues won't happen. But if I can go over to the KBO or you know, and in, in Japan and, and play at a high level and get paid a lot more
0: money than I'm making here in the states, I'm gonna go do it. So that's how, also like how much thing. money are you talking about that they that they would get over there? You know,
1: I would think that you know, over in Japan, you know, depending on who you are as a player and what your profile is, you're gonna make north of a hundred thousand dollars to all the way up to a million or so. You know, depending on who you are. Um, so there, there's significant money. There was talk even this year with the whole coronavirus situation that next year the KBO wants to kind of even have their own minor league system to where several hundred thousand dollars were gonna be on the table just for guys to go play in the minor leagues over there. Whoa. Um so there you can make and again you're making several thousand dollars for us. You know what I mean like there there's a you're not you're not a millionaire. Nobody becomes a millionaire in Independent Ball. And everybody <laughs> knows that. But again it's a job. You're you're playing a kid's game for a living. So you know the overseas market, um, you know, they're the you know most recent podcasts that you had with you know Andy Tracy and, and you know the manager with the Columbus Clippers talked about it a little bit and even winter ball. Winter ball is a very lucrative thing for a lot, a lot of guys, especially American players that can go to Dominican, go to Mexico and play at a high level. I mean, you're talking, you know, 10, dollars a month depending on who they are. That's a pretty good living for a 2-month stretch. Again, you're playing baseball. So, when people say, "Why do guys do it?" it's like, "Well, I'd rather play baseball than, you know, go to the office and log an eight-hour day. You know, yeah. no offense to all the people that are grinding out there, but that's really what it comes down to.
0: Yeah, I, now that you mentioned that, I remember Andy did say, I think he played winter ball for 11 years or something crazy.
1: And he did very well. I would, you know, he was, you know, his resume as a player with the A and the big league on his resume, he was probably getting paid very handsomely for his efforts down there, that's for sure.
0: Wow, that's man, that's great. So, how do you guys go about finding guys to bring in? Because you, you mentioned that you have to have four rookies. What, like, what qualifies someone as a rookie? Like, would I be a rookie?
1: Uh, yeah, you would be a rookie. It all depends on just like how many almost a thirty year old rookie. Right? Yeah, you know, you gotta, you gotta like, there's a certain amount of you know a threshold of at bats or games that you've played in order to become a, a next level. Which it's like rookie. Then there's LS one, LS two, LS three, LS four, LS five, and a veteran. So there's all sorts of different levels and that kind of constitute. And, you know, we have a guy that runs, you know, is like our director of player procurement is, you know, Jeff Bittiger. Um, He's been in the game of professional baseball for, I mean, his whole life was a big leaguer. Um, He, he, you know, also is a pro scout with the A's, So he kind of kills, you know, he, he like for a lot of us kills two birds with one stone. I mean, it's such an advantage for us to have a guy like him because he's going to, you know, the Eastern league, you know, the international league, triple A, double A, and he's scouting guys for the A's when it comes to the trade deadline and making moves and deals like that. But all the guys that get released, he's seen. So we're at a really kind of advantage in that way to where when a guy gets released and the league gets an email about it saying so-and-so would like to, uh, you know, continue his career, Jeff's already seen him. He's already got a report in on him and we, we have information at our fingertips and more and more teams Are starting to head that way um and again one of the big things with player recruitment in our level is the players that you have make sure you get players on your team that have really good friends that's what you want because when they say hey my buddy just got released in the astros he was in triple a last year and he hit 20 homers it's like let's do it you know let's find a way to get that guy here so a lot of it is that you know we rely on the players to say hey you know someone one of my good buddies that i played college ball with just got released by the texas rangers he won wants to play and that's kind of how you start so and like I said there'll never be a shortage of baseball players guys want to play until as long until yet they have to get the jersey taken off their back so it's not like we're running out of options that's why it gets so cutthroat and I'm sure there's guys at home thinking man why can't I get an opportunity with one of these independent teams it's like you don't realize the caliber of player that we're kind of going after it's not that you might not be good enough to play here but we just have another option that we can't resist and we got to go with a much more experienced option. So with our league with four rookies, you know, a rookie slot in this league is, you know, a situational pen out of, or a situational arm out of the pen, a backup catcher and a utility player of some sort, you know, very few rookies come into our league and really have success. It's just not fair to that. They're almost skipping levels really in the grand scheme of things. How can you expect a, a Division one player that maybe wasn't good enough to get drafted, had a good career, really good college player to come in and face a guy like Braden Higgins, who pitched in the big leagues, or Matt Tomshaw who pitched in A or Tyler Pike, who pitched double a baseball. That's like totally unfair to them. I mean, when they get drafted, they're going to a ball and facing their peers. We're asking them to come in and face a 30 year old that has dominated the highest levels of the game. I mean, you, you, you really better be <laughs> be able to play at a really high level. And the affiliated teams do such a good job of scouting; they're not missing on guys in the draft. If you're good enough, they're going to find you. Sure, there's those stories where hey, the guy got overlooked, he made it to the big leagues. Um, Mike Brasso for the Tampa Bay Rays is like a guy, but there's not a lot of Mike Brassos, contrary to popular belief. There's a lot, there, there's a lot more Walker Buellers walking around, first round picks, and they're on Mike Brassos. So. No, but again, think about how many good players there are out there that get released and they just they didn't make it just by a hair and they want to keep playing and we take them and they can still play at an extremely high level.
0: So for the back to the rookie um uh four rookies you have. So those would be players who have no professional experience.
1: It's well, it's not necessarily no professional experience. You can like technically like you can maybe even play like say you played half a season in your frontier league after your you know, senior season in college and you went to the frontier league and you played, when you come back to us, maybe we sign you or trade for you. You're probably still a rookie. Like the the limits are pretty substantial to where you have to turn the page on the rookie status. It's not like once you play one year, no matter what, as a rookie next year, you're not a rookie. That's, that's not what it is. So you, you can be a rookie for several years, really, in the grand scheme of things, depending on how your at-bats go. Um, So, you know, the the status really comes into play for us where once you get into that veteran status, you can only have a certain amount of veterans. I think our league right now is at five. Um, I think they're looking maybe possibly change that in in some of the owner's meetings and GM meetings, but really it comes down to that. Will the guy be a veteran next year? Will he still be a, you know, a middle of the road guy? So that's where the, the uh, kind of status has come in play.
0: Yeah. The independent game, it just, it fascinates me. I just, I have so many, I have so many questions that just come to my mind the more you talk, but how do you like what goes into you releasing a player like maybe just more specific a hitter is there something that you see that you don't like
1: um
0: no because
1: you know and i'll give you a good example and this is um this is a good example from this year And, and this guy is a tremendous player and this will kind of give you an idea of kind of the level that we're at even though this this guy can dominate our level is the guy that I'm going to talk about is Jordan Patterson. He um, Oh, I've he heard of it, him. Well, he, he's in the big leagues, right? Made it to the big leagues with the Colorado Rockies. Um, he was a free agent. Uh, this year is kind of a crazy year to really talk about this because normally Jordan Patterson is never available. And really the only reason that Jordan Patterson was available was because of corona. I mean, really is the grand scheme of things. Same with Drew Ward who was a, you know, in AAA last year with the Nationals, hit like eight homers in 30 games. Now he's playing for the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks. So some of it was that climate, us having a season the minor leagues not. But a guy like Jordan Patterson, he's been in the big leagues, dominated AAA, plays in uh, plays in the Dominican and the minor league. He, he, tremendous player, amazing, even more amazing person. Um, talented through the roof. Getting to work with him, I mean, was incredible for the time he did. But Jordan came in and had a rough two weeks. Keep in mind, didn't have spring training didn't have any way to really get live at bats. So he comes in, he struggles and we're, we're losing games and, you know, ownership maybe get, gets involved at a certain point to where, you know, you're kind of held against like, Hey, why, why is this guy struggling? He, you know, he, he should be doing this. And it's like, well, first off this level that we're playing, that's really, really hard. And he's having a rough two weeks. So Jordan ends up getting released. And it's like, people see that and go, okay, how can a guy that played in the big leagues get released from independent ball? And it's like, Well, it all goes back to the wins and losses, you know what I mean? It goes back to, you know, we got, we have a boss to answer to the owner who's paying the bills and wants to know what's going on. So um, Jordan, you know, you know, he was, he's a tremendous player and he's going to play for the next, you know, five, six years in his life. He's not going to stop playing. And if he came back next year, he would dominate the league. He just had a rough stretch. Everybody has those stretches. So really when it goes into releasing a guy, it's just, is this guy helping us win? Are you a winning player right now? That's really the question we try to a- answer as a staff. And a lot of times, on the converse side of things, we drafted a guy in the ex- in the uh, dispersal draft, Forrest All Day, AAA player, um, really good career. We bring him into spring training, we release him out of spring training, we release him. He was, you know, he was obviously upset about it. Thirty games go by and we're struggling. We Calling back, hey, you interested in coming back? He says, Yes. He comes back, hits eight homers in 30 games, changes our whole scope of down the stretch, really was arguably the second half MVP for us. And he said, He goes, You know, I changed some things in the offseason. He goes, I just didn't think you guys gave me a shot to prove it. It's like, Well, unfortunately, we only have a week and a half of spring training to make a decision. And that was probably the biggest decision, the worst decision we made all year was releasing him. But he comes back fired up. And dominates the league, and will be a good player forever. So again, you you can be made out to make like look like a fool in in independent ball, which is because what happens is you release a guy, another team signs him, and he takes off, and people go, man, how'd you guys release him? It's like, wow, you know, for us, he went 0 for 15, you know, and we have such a short window to make a decision. So it's not like we have a month of spring training; it's two weeks, and let's go 100 games and 110 days. So a lot of times, it's tough. I mean, it, it is really, really tough, and. The players obviously some of them don't understand that, that it that it's that cutthroat. They think, well, I've played here, I can come in here and just be okay. And it's like, well, obviously if we gave you as much time as we could, you'd dominate this league, but we don't have that time, especially this year in a 60 game season, because again, we were, were trying to win it all. So yeah.
0: Wow. Man, that's crazy. That, that yeah. isn't that's insane.
1: Yeah, it is uh, it's uh it's much more of a cutthroat industry than people think, you know, it's just cause you might, your opportunities vary. You're not guaranteed anything. And like I said, teams are trying to win. Owners are paying the bills. So, you know, if you're not directly affecting really that W column, you know, we, we got to try to find someone that will.
0: Yeah. So in the off season, what, I mean, are you still rec- helping recruit with some players or what are you doing in the off season?
1: Yeah. So in the off season, you know, in a, in a normal year, and it, obviously this is probably, it's going to be a normal off season at least is, you know, pretty much Jeff goes out, he tries to find a list of players. We get sent a list of free agents from major league baseball pretty much every like periodically, maybe every two weeks of, of literally everybody that's been released. And, you know, you, you have the agent's number. Phone calls. So you can make phone calls, see if a guy wants to play this and that. So really, it's it's kind of like cross referencing what we think a guy might be able to contribute at our level. You know, it's uh, Jeff will you know call me and say, hey, I got this guy that I saw with Trenton. You know, two years ago, he hit fifteen homers. What do you think? And I you know I'll go through his baseball reference, try to find video on him. Um, is the guy motivated to play? Is he even going to give independent ball a shot? You know, there's a lot of different things that go into it. What kind of money is he gonna you know does he want stuff like that because we work under a salary cap you don't just pay everybody willy-nilly there is a, a hard salary cap that you have to follow so everybody gets slotted in at a certain value which makes it fun honestly you know it's uh makes it you know makes it that much tougher um to really put together a really good team if you are dealing with financial restrictions but yeah just the normal offseason it's just a lot of cross-referencing the players you know and 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 you know Uh, When can you get the guy to sign? A lot of it is timing. You know, a lot of these guys want to wait and see if they get picked up by a team to go to spring training and they want to use independent ball as a last resort. So if one guy's kind of stringing you along and you got another guy that's chomping at the bit to play, you know, when do you pull the trigger on the guy that's ready to play or the guy that may be a little bit more of a proven commodity? It's really tough to make those judgments in such a short amount of time. But like I said, it usually works out in the end. And and our league's so competitive that you'll find out real quick if you got the right guys in place to win games. because. It's tough to win this league. That, that's for sure.
0: Oh man, yeah. I, I, I'm just thinking of facing those, some of those guys throwing 95 plus, and it's just not not fun <laughs> yeah. at all. So Glad what like, what do you what do you want to do? What where do you see yourself in the next few years? Like, would you want to be a manager in Indepenible, or would you rather go to another league? Like, what would you want to do?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, managing it. You know, really, once you get to experience this and you get to live the life, I, I jokingly tell people it's really like the big league life just without the big league money. <laughs> you know, the only difference is, is we're not making millions or hundred thousands, you know, it's uh, you're, you're doing fine and you get to coach baseball for a living. So you, you can't complain. You know, that's the one thing, you know, just working in general, you know, i hopefully I'm, you know, 28 years old. Hopefully by the time I'm, you know, 70, I have won't have a day worked in my entire life. It'll just be baseball. And that, in its of itself, is valuable to an unbelievable degree. When you talk to people that just don't like their jobs or it's a grind, stuff like that. So certainly, managing's you know definitely something I would love to do. Um, you know, really for me, it's really just the best opportunity in the coaching sphere of things. To be honest, like I want to work with good people. Most importantly, surround yourself with good people. And I've been lucky enough with the Red Hawks. Worked for Michael Schlack, Worked for Jim Bennett. Now work for Chris Coase. Work with Chris Coase at Concordia, who. Has pretty much the most famous independent baseball story there is on on planet on planet Earth, um, and getting to talk to him, you know, won a World Series, played in the big leagues. I mean, the stuff that I'm able to absorb on a day-to-day basis that I think can move forward, whether it's college, whether it's junior college, whether it's independent ball or affiliated ball, um, I really don't think I'll roll anything out. It's funny when I when it's at Shippensburg. I was like, you know, I really don't want to coach the Division three level. I just, I just, I don't want to. I don't think I'd be comfortable there coaching Division three. You know, you don't have scholarships. Maybe all the kids aren't invested. And I've worked at Concordia for three years, and it's been an absolute blast. And I could totally be a head coach at a Division three school somewhere if I wanted to, depending on the opportunity. So I think the important thing as a coach is never eliminating possibilities because you just don't know where the game's going to take you. You know, you, you. I went from a Division two school to independent ball. I went from working with division two players to former big leaguers. It's like, you know, in, in a span of a year. So the, the the great thing about the baseball industry is the possibilities are endless. So really it's just about the right opportunity, working with the right people. And most importantly, no matter where I would be at, I want to win. Really, that's what it comes down to. Let's win some games. I know the affiliated experience maybe isn't all geared towards that, but losing is way worse. It's just a terrible, terrible feeling. So you always want to win no matter where you're at.
0: That's awesome, man. Anthony, I appreciate you coming on today, man. And, uh, you know, happy that you're doing well and just wish you nothing but the best. And if I'm ever in Fargo or uh, Bismarck, which I told you, I I have family. My grandparents still live in in Bismarck and that's where my mom's from and her side of the family. So, um, you know, I'm sure I'll be back eventually um geez the winter time is always the worst though in north dakota <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> yeah.
1: it, it can get you know minus degrees is like warm weather before <laughs> oh. <laughs> a certain uh, it's only minus 10 today all right we're, we're good oh, pat clubs, real, but, yeah, i
0: appreciate you coming on the show today man this is a lot of fun and i just can't wait to follow like where, where your coaching journey takes you
1: yeah awesome I, I appreciate it pat and uh good luck with everything you're doing the podcast this is awesome i listen to it all the time so thanks for having me on
0: thanks man Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. If you're interested in working with me, either remotely or in person, please email me at jonesbaseballtraining@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We'll see everyone next week. Thanks for listening to my episode with Colter Bostick. Again, if you want to ask him any questions or anything to follow up on, make sure to head on over to Twitter. Give him a follow at Maximize underscore Baseball. While you're at it, make sure if you're not already following me at P. Jones Baseball on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's all the same handle at P. Jones Baseball. If you ever have any questions about any of the episodes or just anything regards to player development in general, just send me an email, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com. Hope everyone out there is doing well, and I'll see everyone next week.